Last week, we talked about uh, being a witness, and we looked at Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and we also looked at a passage over in um, Acts 1, and I, I want to address something that came up, not just at one place, but a couple of meetings. A lot of us get overwhelmed. We look at a guy like Billy Graham, and we go, I can't be like that. You know, I, I just can't do it. He is so gifted and so good at making it just seem so simple. Let me just take the pressure off each one of us. We are not all called to be Billy Graham. We are called to be us. But we can be a witness as us. And and so what I want to do each week from now on, hopefully, and I may forget sometimes, but from now on, I want somebody in this group every week to stand up and to be a witness of one thing God did in their life this week or one way they may have shared with somebody this week in two sentences. And it's really easy to do that. I had a guy do it just spontaneously in St. Augustine. He just stood up and said, I did this. You know, I met this lady and I just told her that my life was changed because of Jesus Christ. That was it. And that's all being a witness is. Looking at somebody saying, my life was changed by Jesus Christ and He can change yours. So, is there anybody willing to do that right now? Oh, a lot. Oh, look, that's, that's good. Alright, Jeff. Uh, I had breakfast uh, with a friend of mine who's um, <clears throat> struggling with his faith and struggling with a lot of things in life. And I did just that. I told him my testimony about when Christ came into my life, how my life radically changed. All right, and that's it. Every week, save it next week, because I'm going to have you go every week. Okay. <laughs> so all I'm saying is that's being a witness. Be a witness. We all should be able to, to respond when people respond to what you just said. And I'm going to give you a, a way today to do that that I, I've been doing for a long time. But to get to that point, the first part is us just being a witness. The woman at the well had no training. She met Jesus, and she went and told the whole city, and the whole city came to see Him because of her witness. And so we're just called to be witnesses. He says in Acts 1.8, You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We have an epidemic of silence in the church in America. And the reason we have it is because we have this idea, we are so success-oriented, we have this idea that we've got to be able to defend the Bible, we've got to be able to defend Jesus, we've got to be able to counter every argument, we've got to win the argument. And we don't. You don't have to win the argument. All you, he doesn't say, you will win arguments in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. And so that's what He's called us to do. Now, should you read the Bible and have a good understanding of the Bible? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But I use this illustration when God said, if you saw a building on fire and there was a child in that building with his nose pressed against the window, would you go, well, I'd like to rescue him, but I haven't been trained in how to go into a burning building. I'm not a fireman. No, none of us would do that. The motivation would come from seeing a need and desperately wanting to meet that need. And I think the biggest problem for us is we don't, one, see the needs, and we, two, we don't desperately want to meet that need. 
I mean, now, being trained to do it would make us more effective. And that's what I'm hoping that God will do to us today as we look at some of these things. You know, I ask you to memorize Romans 6.23. Most of us might have memorized that if you went to church growing up. If you didn't go to church, it's not a long verse. And it's a simple verse, and we're going to look at it. But first, before we get to that and talking about how to share the gospel message, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians 5. What's an ambassador? In the olden days, certainly in the biblical time, and even after that, what was the role of an ambassador? Today it's mostly economic. But back then, what was it? Well, it was represent not just anybody or somebody. It was it was a specific when when somebody when an ambassador came, they usually came with a message from the highest authority. Usually, when somebody was an ambassador, Rome when Rome was ruling the world, they had two types of provinces. They had a senatorial province and they had an imperial province. The senatorial province was a province that they had conquered. The people had surrendered. And there was peace. They didn't disperse ambassadors to the senatorial provinces. Why? Because they didn't need to. They had conquered it. The people had surrendered. But the imperial provinces, those people had not been conquered, and they would disperse ambassadors to go and make declarations of peace to the people. And these were the terms of peace. So an ambassador was sent by the leader to convey a message of peace to avoid wrath and conflict. And so for us, we live, guys, in an imperial province. The world that we live in is the imperial province of Jesus Christ because there's a lot of people still at war with God. And don't believe this lie that is being promulgated throughout the world that God isn't angry with anybody. Because if you're walking and you have not been reconciled through the blood of Jesus, the Bible says that you're at war with Him. Now, that's not a popular message, especially in our culture. People don't like that. that. Ooh, the God of judgment's the Old Testament God. No. Jesus came bringing peace. That's why He came on a donkey. When He came on a donkey, that was the way the King would come in peace. But when He comes again, He's coming on a, a stallion. And it's going to be war. And it's going to be wrath and judgment. And to convey to somebody that God is okay with them in disobedience and rebellion to Him is disingenuous to what He says in His Word. It's not real. It's not reality. And so we are ambassadors, and Paul picks this up in Corinthians, and he talks about this ambassadorship. But in this passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with the Corinthian church. And the, the Corinthians are very much a mirror of our culture, or we're a mirror of their culture actually. They were believers who struggled with the people that were bringing different messages in, and they struggled to know what to believe. They were really having little to no impact, and that's why Paul wrote these letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But in this passage today, he lays out that we have a new motivation, we have a a new perspective, and we have a new mission from our old life. And he's drawing a distinction between the new life we have in Christ and the old life living for ourselves. And the Corinthians were kind of falling back into some of those old ways. They didn't really appreciate what Christ has done. And I think sometimes we 
take what he did on the cross for granted because of this message that, you know what, God's not angry with you. He's, it's okay. You can be, you can do whatever you want to do. You know what? You you just come to him. If you don't, you know, if you want to come to him any way you want, and and you give the impression to people that they can stay the way they want, and they can't. That was never a term. Remember, we talked about the terms of surrender a few weeks ago. What those look like, and humility is one of them. There's no humility in self-exaltation and self-rule. None. No humility in that. And so. Paul lays out in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. We're going to read those. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to look at this new motivation. We're going to look at this new perspective and this new mission. So, starting in verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, well, anytime you see that in Scripture, you want to go back just a little bit. So let's actually pop back to verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might no longer, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we, are, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So what Paul says here in this first verse in, in 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. When he's talking about knowing the fear of the Lord there, guys, he is talking about an accountability. An accountability, it's a healthy fear. If you work, Riley, you work at the YMCA. If, if you're not doing your job, they're going to notice and you're, there's going to be a consequence, isn't there? I mean, when you work up there, you have certain tasks and responsibilities. I'm sure nobody just said, okay, you're hired and didn't tell you what you were supposed to do, right? That's what's going on now. Yeah. <laughs> In the Christian life, nobody said, okay, you're a Christian. This isn't what to do. It's all here in His Word. And I just read to you, our ministry is reconciliation. 
He tells us right here in the passage, five times it uses that term reconciliation. That means to bring together, to be peacemakers. The ambassador part is, is weird to go, and, and it starts with us having a new motivation. He's saying, we know that we're going to be accountable. Now, I really want you to think about this question. When Paul writes this, who did he feel accountable to? When he's writing this to the Corinthians, who, who does he feel accountable to? Yeah, he said, therefore, what? We just talked about the judgment seat. As believers, we're going to have to stand before Christ. Listen, over the last two years, I have held the hands of at least three men who have died. Two of those men did not die really living for Christ. Only one of those men died really living for Christ. I mean, really living because the other two men wept as they were dying and they wept because they wished they could have gone back and changed. And Satan does a great job of weaving this web of deception around us to make us not caring about our accountability to God. In fact, who do you feel accountable to? Do you feel accountable to God? For most of us, we don't. For most of us, we wake up every day and we're only accountable to ourselves with our money, our time, our resources. I get emails from guys and I have conversations with guys who talk to me about the busyness of life and they talk to me about everything going on in their life. Listen, we're all busy. One guy looked at me a week ago and he goes, you don't understand, you know, what I'm going through. The guy has no kids living at home. He, you know, he, he has a 401k that would last me for the next 10 years. And, and he tells me, I don't understand. We all are busy. The point is, I'm no different than anybody else. We all have things going on in our life. And Satan weaves this web of deception around us that makes us get consumed with our daily life. And we don't feel accountable to God. Paul says, knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. In other words, knowing that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for the witness I've been, for the heart that I've had for those around me that are lost. And guys, don't let it take a near-fatal accident or the death of somebody close to you that doesn't know Christ to motivate you to want to get out. Let it be this new motivation that He gives us because He's given us new life. It's just most of the time we value our reputation even over our character, what people think of us, and that's what Satan uses to keep us quiet. Are people going to think you're crazy? They will. They will. You know what? But they thought Jesus was crazy. Over in Mark, his family thought he was a nut. You're in pretty good company. Yeah. We persuade others. You know what it means to persuade? That, that indicates a process. That's not a one and done. We persuade. We care. We engage. Now, you don't cast your pearls before swine if somebody just continues to reject. But that doesn't mean you stop praying for them. It just means that you can say, okay, God, this person obviously isn't being drawn. Let me continue to pray for them who else do you want me to interact with and our eyes are open and alert for opportunities they're all around us i don't care if it's inviting them to the movie or inviting them to coffee and you just want to go spend time to know them and talk to them but be a witness to them but we should have this new motivation in us to do that well he goes on to say it's not just a new motivation it's a new perspective on life 
When we come to Christ, our whole perspective changes. He says, the love of Christ controls us. What controls you and I? Is it the love of Christ? It's funny how he brings these two things together. He talks about the fear in a healthy fear kind of way, but then he also talks about it being love. It's love what He did for us. He goes, Christ died for us, and because He died for us, we no longer live for ourselves. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ in me. You see, when, when Christ brings you into the family of God, and we talked about this last week, it's not just so you can pray a prayer, raise a hand, and go, okay, I got my ticket to heaven. He brings you into the body so that you can then be dispersed as an ambassador of reconciliation. That's the whole... When He brings you in, otherwise, why wouldn't He just take us to heaven? I'd much rather be there. You know, uh, when, when we hang on to earth, and that's one thing I've seen, guys. When I've, when I've walked with people through those last phases of their life, the people... Some people want to hang on to this. Not me. Not my wife. Not my kids. I, I want to go. And you go, yeah, but I'm going to miss everybody. Are you kidding me? You could be with Jesus? Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think most of us don't see to die as gain. It's because the enemy goes, you know what? It may not be real. Don't know. <laughs> you know, there's a chance. And, what, and you go, what if, it, what if it isn't real? Then this is all it is. I'm going to miss everybody. And you start thinking that way. Listen, to die is gain. I didn't have that perspective until that bird strike, until that bird came through and hit me. And at that moment, God revealed to me, man, that I can take you, but I'm leaving you for a purpose. You are here as my ambassador. Now go and take this new perspective and when you see people, don't be a barrier. Instead, be a beacon of hope. Go out and be a person that's being a witness for me. <clears throat> Romans 6, 4 says that we walk in the newness of life. You know what that means? That means we walk with a new leader. We're not our leader. Christ is our leader. Romans 7, 4 says we bear fruit. How's your fruit lately? How's your fruit? You know, and these are just accountability questions, guys, that not, none of us really... We, is there anybody that really likes accountability? For you guys that own business, nobody likes accountability. But without accountability, we end up doing... What do people do? They, they won't do anything if they don't think... Listen, watch this with your kids. That's, I, I was reading this article yesterday talking about the problem with this generation coming up is they have... Uh, technology distracted parents now and they just let their kids do whatever they want to do they just use their the, they let their kids devices be the babysitter and so parents aren't involved and there's no accountability and what happens when you have no accountability you end up doing bad stuff and then there's no consequences a lot of times so he's saying here that we, we should have a new perspective and he, he goes down here and he says listen all this new life we have is from Christ who reconciled us to Himself and He gave us. Do you realize you've been entrusted? You've been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation to be an ambassador. You want to know what your ministry is? It's not music. 
for some of you, I know it's not music. <laughs> it's not evangelist. It's not being a teacher. Not being a servant behind the scenes. All those things are for one purpose. It's that we might reconcile the world to Christ. All those things are nothing more than the tools that God has equipped and gifted us to. So listen, we're not all going to witness the same way. And we can't let the enemy paralyze us by thinking we have to preach like Billy Graham. Because God called him uniquely. If you go to uh, you know, the stadium down here and try to put on an event, it may not go too well for you unless God has uniquely gifted you for that. And He has gifted some people for that. But even the person who's role is to serve and to be an administrator or to do those things, that doesn't relieve you from the responsibility to be a witness. We all have responsibilities to witness, to care for the people that are dying around us without Christ. And this lack of urgency has been woefully absent from the church. And we've been content. And I'm just, I'm not content anymore. I'm not. There's too many people perishing around us. And and it, it should grieve our hearts that these people have not heard. How can somebody live in America and say they haven't heard? That's an embarrassment. But do you know there's people in this country who say, well, nobody ever told me about Jesus. How, How can that be when you have churches on every street corner? It's because we've been distracted by the enemy. He tells us, guys, that's our mission. It's a new mission for us. We don't live for ourselves anymore. When, when you think about your role as an ambassador and as a servant, do you think about it as more of a policeman or an EMT? Now, what you think about is one thing. What do people around you think? What do they think? Do they look at you as more of a policeman? The mentality is sometimes for us that we come in and we come across more of a police mentality than a EMT mentality. I think what he's saying is a reconciler. We've been entrusted with this ability to go in by the power of the Holy Spirit and to love people that are unlovely. To love people that are doing unlovely things. You are never more like Christ than when you've been wounded by somebody and you extend grace to them and mercy to them and love to them. Is it hard to do? Absolutely. You can't do it on your own. But I want you to listen in 1 Corinthians. Same group of people Paul's dealing with. 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to ask this question about your heart. Would these people be welcome? Would they feel welcome in your presence? Would they be welcome? First of all, that's one question. Second, would they feel welcome? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Would those people be welcome in your presence? Would they feel welcome in your presence? And then he says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How do you think those people were contacted and brought to Christ? 
How were they welcomed into the fellowship of the Corinthian church? By people who were witnesses. People who witnessed to them, who shared with them. They were ministers of reconciliation. And God brought homosexuals, adulterers. I remember uh, last week we had a guy who uh, worked with Dr. Graham a lot. And he was telling a story when Bill Clinton went through his impeachment they had a, some kind of state dinner and Billy Graham was there. He had, they had invited him to come up and somebody approached him because right after the impeachment at this particular function, nobody wanted to sit at the table with Bill Clinton. Nobody. And they went up to Billy Graham and they, they said, would you? He goes, I'll sit with him. I think that's where Jesus would be sitting. And he sat at the table with him. He caught heat from it too. Such were some of you. How are we going to be a witness to people if we have an attitude of, you know what? God's not going to reach them. Do you think people didn't say that about Paul? That's why this movie's so good. It brings that out. People were wary of Paul. He killed Christians. And then he has a conversion. And they're thinking, oh, he's just using that to find out who we are. Who's in charge of all that? God's in charge of all that. There was a little girl, and uh, her name was Frances Havergal. She, she wrote the words to a poem. And in this poem, she, she was with her father. This was in Germany back in the 1800s. And she was visiting this pastor's house while he was having some surgery done, her father was. And she looks up and she sees this cross on the wall. And underneath the cross... It said this, I did this for thee. What have you done for me? And she was haunted by that. And so she took a piece of paper and she wrote down this little poem. And she didn't like it, and so she threw it into a fireplace that was burning. And the fire went out and the piece of paper was still in there and it was un, basically untouched somehow. It didn't get burned. And her dad said, you need to get that and hold on to that. And it ended up becoming a song. And this is the words to the first, just the first part. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? God gave us eternal life. It is nothing greater in the whole entire world. Jack Turpin experienced that yesterday at 5 a.m. He went from a room where he was unconscious in his body, this tent. In this chapter before we're reading this in 2 Corinthians, it talks about these are just temporary, like a shelter. I don't see any of you guys living in a tent 24-7. Every one of us... We build houses and we live in houses. But we don't, we don't hang out in a tent forever. It's a temporary shelter. This is a temporary shelter. And He's called us to be people who help to help other people understand and understand that the way they can have that glorified body with Christ forever is through Jesus and it's only through Jesus. Now, as you think about that, what's the major obstacle for you in being a witness and being a reconciler. What is it? If you look at 517, <clears throat> I want I ask you to write. I gave you guys a sheet of paper, by the way. 
on this sheet of paper, it's praying, prayer, care, and share. We talked about that last week. Prayer, care, share. These are some specific ways that you can pray. Now, in, in one box, about midway down, it says pray for a friend or family member who you most desire to see receive Christ. I want you to write a name in that box. Somebody you're praying for. Somebody that you are specifically praying for. Some unchurched, some unbelieving person. Maybe they're church unbelieving. There's a lot of unbelievers that go to church because it makes them feel better. They're religious, but they don't know Jesus. And these are just some examples of prayer. That's all. Specific prayers. On the back, caring. Here's some spiritual springboard questions. These are just questions to, to talk to them that you can ask and get an understanding of where they are. Remember last week we talked about starting with their story, then bridging it with your story into a Jesus story, and then the Jesus story, the gospel. There's lots of ways that the gospel is presented. There's lots of ways, you know, tracks. I, I didn't want to give the impression last week that tracks are terrible. It's just tracks are impersonal. They don't take into account the people. And so I, I use tracks sometimes in booklets. I don't have a problem with it. There's some tracks that are very creative. Um, I want to show you a couple of things that I've used. There's lots of different tracks. Are you good enough to get to heaven? That's just a little track that goes through and talks about people keeping the Ten Commandments. Is Jesus God? This was a lecture that John Mazel gave over in Moscow State University, and they recorded it. Somebody had the foresight to record it audio, and they just took what he shared and put it into a little booklet because it made sense, especially for the atheists. That's... This one's called The Other Jesus. And, and so, last thing I want to do is Romans 6.23. Um, <clears throat> Romans 6.23. And I'm going to write it out. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what I do, what Ronnie saw me do on that airplane and what I've done a bunch, is I will if I get in a conversation and I get to the point of the conversation where they want to know what, what the main message of the Bible is, I say, you know what? I, there's a verse in the Bible that really explains this. And I write out the verse. And then I tell them, I say... And, and it really kind of graphs out. I'm not sure if you're into graphs, but it graphs out really good. I said, and I draw a little stick person over here. And I say, God created us for a relationship. I draw these little stick people. And I said, excuse my drawing. I'm not that good of a drawer, but but He created us to be in a dependent relationship with Him. That was His purpose in creating us. But because of sin and selfishness, what's happened is you got man over here. And God over here. And, and we're separated. There's this separation between God and man. This verse talks about it. You see on, on the left side, it says wages. So let's go to wages. And I ask him, what's a wage? What's a wage? What you earn, right? You work to earn that. You do something to earn a wage. And, and the Bible says the wages of sin. Now sin is a biblical word, but you know what it means? It just means missing the mark. Now, sin is described in a lot of things. People a lot of times will describe sin in terms of what they think sins are. 
But sin is being self-led and selfish and not being in relationship with God. Because when you're not in relationship with God, you lead your own life. You make your own choices independent of Him. That is what the Bible refers to as missing the mark or sin. Uh, It actually was a Greek term. It was an archery term. But the wages of sin is what? It says death. Now, what that really means, the death, and I write help and hope down here, and I draw a line through help and hope. Death means no help, no hope. What that means for a lot of people is if they don't have a relationship with God, they might not immediately pop over. They may not immediately keel over when they get to an age where they comprehend this stuff and they go, no, I don't want it. Because God's merciful. The truth is, the Bible says that we all deserve death. Everyone. It says the wages of sin is death. And there's no help and no hope. And I want you to imagine the worst pain you can imagine multiplied a thousand times, experienced alone and in the cold and dark, with no help or no hope. That's what it's like to be apart from God. We're apart from God on earth. We're not going to be with Him in, in heaven. That's a, a Basically, people miscommunicate that. That God is just going to let you do whatever you want to do and not experience His help and hope here and leadership here. And then all of a sudden, you're going to pass from this life to the next. It's going to be different. No, the Bible says that there is a day coming when we pass from this life to the next, we're going to stand before God. And we're going to have to give an account. And if we don't have that relationship with Him the way His Word says, the Bible says, then the Bible says that we're going to experience that death forever, for eternity. Now, what's great is God is so loving and so merciful that it says over here that the gift... You know what a gift is, right? A gift is something somebody gives you that you don't give anything back. If you give something back, it's not a gift. Even if you give me a dollar for it. doesn't matter what the value that you give to me. If you think you have to give me something, is it a gift anymore? I go, no, it's not a gift. So it says the gift of God. That's great news for us. The gift of God, and God is holy. And that means separate. The world that we look around... Would you look at the world that we live in and say there's evil in the world? Absolutely. God is completely opposite from that. And that really is the effect of sin. You see it. You wonder about 9-11. You wonder about all the, the, the terrible things that happen in the world. That isn't God doing that. That's the absence of God. And so the gift of God, it says, is eternal life. And you know what? With, with, with eternal life, what's really cool is it's not just about on the other side. It's here. We have help and we have hope. In my entire life, since I've been following Christ, He's always been there to help me and He's always given me hope. Even when I went through life struggles uh, that were uh, sometimes almost fatal or uh, seemed very hopeless, when I, you know, and I talk about my own circumstances, but He's given me help and hope. Now, that's quite a contrast. See, down here, He says, but, there's a but. You can have this choice or you can have this choice. He he offers it to all people. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your economic background, your political affiliation. None of those things matter. But look, these are on one side, this is on the other. 
The question is, how do we get there? And throughout time, people have tried to go over that divide and they've used uh, good works, they've used philosophy, they've even used religion to try to get there. But you know what? This is an impossible divide. It's like going from New York to London. Can you swim that far? You can't swim it. Doesn't matter. You could be an Olympic swimmer and you're not going to make it. It's impossible. And this is the same way. So we, we have to have something to get across here. And it's in this verse. You see, Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What does that mean? That means our master, our leader. He is the bridge that bridges us from our debt that we earn, our lack of help, our lack of hope, to help, hope for the rest of our life in a relationship with God the way it should be. Now, when you look at this, where are you at on this spectrum up here? Are you over here? Are you close? Are you over here? Where are you? And I ask people that question, and a lot of times, you know what they'll say? Most people will put, I'll say put an X, and they'll put it right there. I'm close, and I'll ask them, what is it that's keeping you from going from there to there? And that will usually surface. But that right there, guys, is a bridge illustration using Romans 6.23. And I, I've got a box over there of booklets that has this. Some group put it together, and it really, they do. There's variations to doing this, but the bottom line is it is the Word of God. It is Romans 6.23 diagrammed out in a way for somebody visually to see. They can choose this or they can choose this. And again, nobody's going to respond to this just because you do a fancy drawing. I've done it terrible. I've, I've explained it terrible. The key is praying as you do it, asking God to work on the heart of the person and to give them eyes to see. And I've had a lot of people trust Christ. It's just a, a way to share. There's a lot, That's why I put these tracks over people to use them. So prayer, care, share. Be a witness. And, and just God's going to keep giving you opportunities if you ask him. That's the prayer he wants to answer when he says knock. Knock and the door will be open. Ask, and you will receive. That's what he's talking about. If any of you guys ever have any questions or you want to chat about this or anything else, feel free to shoot me an email or question, and I'm happy to. Brig, glad you could join us today. Bob, good to have you back. And uh, Kent, will you close our time in prayer?